So we're here to do, you know. Right? Yeah, we're all good, man. But uh, that's interesting, man. Yeah. I've I've never never read a book like that before. I'll, I'll have to ch- check it out for sure. Yeah, man. What else are you doing outside of the book? Yeah. So earlier this year, I invested in a speaker program. So it's the Speaker Lab with Grant Baldwin. So okay. I'm actually, I created a keynote called Darkness to Dharma. Again, how to navigate darkness and how to turn your darkness into your purpose, and how okay. to use your darkness and your pain as a creative way to build that business, to carry that into a relationship, to really ultimately find purpose in your existence through your pain and be able to share that openly. And really just more about how to be as authentic as you can be. So there's that. I mean, I've had my coaching consulting business for like seven years, started in fitness. Then it started going into like mind-body psychology. From there, it went into like deeper trauma work. From there, it went into spiritual counseling. And now what it is, it's really... Um, what I call visionary work. So I'll work with people and kind of clear out whatever's in the way of them bringing their vision to life. That's and, interesting. you know, bringing that into corporate settings. Now I'm doing more people-centric systems for corporate and even getting some credentials with the government to start doing local, state, federal, and foreign government contracts to build people-centric systems alongside um, the systems they have for performance. So instead of looking at metrics or performance and you know, seeing that somebody's not hitting the mark, right? They're able to have a system now to identify the root cause of what's happening within an individual to see what's really getting in the way. So building these people-centric systems, you're not so much looking at performance or metrics, you're looking at the personality and the impact that it's having on somebody's ability to show up fully as themselves for the company in whatever role they're doing. Damn, that's deep, man. (laughs) What, what kind of people are you working with, like, for the most part? Do you have, like, a certain like certain kind of person you're working with or just... Mostly right now, entrepreneurs and executives. Okay. So, working with the core executive leadership teams, working with upper-level, mid-level management, you know, entrepreneurs. Normally, entrepreneurs that'll find me, they're normally within, like, six-figure to seven-figure range. Okay. And they'll work with me and I'll help them, you know, navigate. Yeah. You know, because with scaling comes... <laughs> suffering yeah, in a lot of ways. And, and my role is to really help alleviate suffering that people feel, Yeah, you know, to find that deeper sense of fulfillment. And so that way life's not so fucking hard, man, because we weren't put here to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about like the balance between like, let's say you are like a six to seven figure entrepreneur who wants to like build all these businesses mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But also like, what, like talk about the balance between that and then wanting to like, just be happy and peaceful and like, just be happy with what you already have. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure you deal with that with a lot of people who you're working with, you know, like who Mm -hmm. are super driven, but also how do you like stay driven, but also stay peaceful and and just content with life, you know, because I feel like even for me, it's kind of a hard balance to, to figure out, you know, it's like, I want to go do all these things, accomplish all this stuff, build my body, all that stuff. But you can almost get too lost in that, you know, to where you're like, you're not happy with what you have and all that kind of stuff, you know? I mean, yeah. What's what's that like with you and all the people you work with, you know? Yeah, I mean, for me personally, it's something I navigate every day. Yeah. You know, it's like for people who want to create such massive waves in the world, it's like we have such big audacious dreams that when we're not actually living that dream, it almost seems like this unattainable goal, right? And I hear a lot of the times, and even with myself, it feels like I'm at 90% of the mountain, right? Yeah. I've climbed 90%. But that extra 10%, I'm just reaching, right? And I find that the more I'm reaching, the more I'm suffering. So finding contentment at that 90% and saying, it's okay for me to rest. I've gotten this far. And I can just look back down the mountain and see how far I came. And when we start to recognize that, because we as a society don't celebrate ourselves nearly as much as we should, right? Like starting a podcast, right? For some that might be just like, eh, yeah, I started a podcast, but like we were talking about before, it's like, that's a bold and courageous move to put yourself out there. And that's what we should be celebrating, not the amount of views or listens or likes or comments or shares or all this other bullshit that social media feeds us, right? Because it's even found in the more recent lawsuits against Meta 
that they were, you know, providing harmful algorithms for people and getting them addicted to platforms. But really it was addicted to the not enoughness, right? I'm not doing enough. I'm not achieving enough. I'm not making enough, but who the fuck is establishing those standards? Yeah. Right. So would you say like, uh, just me trying to interpret what you're saying, like fall in love with just like what you're doing and like the process of it and really like just pay attention to why you're doing it and not necessarily like the accolades and all that kind of stuff, you know, like exactly. the views and all of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like the gratitude for the process, you know, the gratitude that we are in a very privileged position to have the ability to create, you know, when there are so many people in the world that's true. who are yeah. being oppressed, suppressed, repressed, depressed, and it's really taking away the creative ability of one. It's not taking away any perceived freedoms because I believe that freedom is found from within and it's not given to us by any country or any government, which might sound like a very ignorant thing to say. And at the same time, I believe in universal law, not common law. Hell yeah. Yeah. Right. So when you see something from the universal lens and from a cosmic lens, none of the bullshit that society or the media and propaganda feeds us really matters at that point because all we're seeing is our creative ability being suppressed and trapped and put into a cage, much like an animal, you know, because domestication is the number one issue that man faces mm. to not be free, to not be oneself, to not be in one's primal expression is to mm. rip and rob someone of their creativity. And that's what we're here to do. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I'm saying how, let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Um, how do you escape the domestication of, <laughs> of the world? Like propaganda. I mean, just all of it, you know, we all grew up and like go to school and learn all these things that, you know, maybe are good for you. Maybe aren't. How do you escape the domestication process? You know? Cause I mean, I'm sure we could dive into that for a while, but <laughs> I mean, how do you go about that? You know, like you got to seek out people. I mean, do you got to find it from within yourself? How do you escape the domestication? I think it's a little bit of everything. I'll wait to get back. I know you're going to chop it up and all that stuff too. So yeah. Um, a little bit of everything though. I would say to escape the domestication, it requires a lot of things, right? We have to first understand where we're domesticating ourselves, right? Where are we holding back? Right? What I call like the spiritual savagery, right? Where have we lost our savagery? Where have we lost our tenacity? our ability to rebel and revolt against our own self-imposed constructs, right? What are the cages that we've created around our own mind, around our own beliefs, around our own limitations or our perceived limitations, you know, and that's where we start. And then once we go into that, we'll understand, well, where did we learn that, right? Where did we learn to not be ourselves fully? Was it the teacher in second grade who told us to shut up during class because we were put into a system that was never designed for us? Was it our mom or our dad telling us to pipe down in the grocery store so that way that we didn't disturb the peace of other people? You know, there's a lot of different root causes, but through the excavation and rediscovering of our potential, we can really see the truth. And the truth is that we were perfect from day one and that we are by design through the eyes of God, not through any religious structure or entity that through the creator and through spirit and through universe, whatever pronoun you want to use for it, we were by design fucking perfect. And when we start to realize that we can also recognize that the more sinister and dark parts of ourself are also always welcome. And through this process of going within identifying the constructs, attaching or identifying, I should say, the belief in the root to that construct, we now have reference points, right? Reference points of awareness. It's almost like a map, right? With these different points in major cities, but we have these major beliefs and major roots. And just like a mycelial network of mushrooms that grow and how it works with our mind, because our mind is a mycelial network of its own. And we as a colony as a civilization or a mycelial network, we start to attract and gravitate towards those who are of similar resonance or vibration. And through other people, 
we can now find community that supports our individuality in which now it's not just us working alone. It's us collaborating, co-regulating with one another in which we all support each other's freedom in which we are not domesticated by community or the system itself, but we're finding freedom through one another and through ourselves. And it's to recognize that you have the fucking ability to create anything, always, anywhere, anytime, because there's never not a time that you're not creating. And if that is inherently true, then the same goes for freedom because creation is freedom and freedom is creation. So how can we actually say that we're not free or that we're not creating or that we're domesticated because it's just a construct? It seems like a part, a lot of, a big part of the domestication process is wanting us to ignore our own eyes and ignore our own intuition mm -hmm. um, and to make us, to get us to the point where when we see something, we don't believe what we see, we believe what we're told. You know, like when you look at COVID-19, when you look at like all this kind of stuff, you know, mm -hmm. it's like they want mm -hmm. us to just believe whatever we're told, not believe what we see and like what we feel, you know? That one. Right. Believe what we feel yeah. because sometimes what we see are just fucking illusions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just illusions and sometimes delusions. What role does uh, your intuition play in like being creative and stuff like that? I mean, I'm sure it plays a big role. What would you say is like the, the role between your intuition and like learning how to like tap into your intuition? You know, I've talked a lot about that with like the past few episodes. What's your take on like the intuition and tapping into that and like into your creativity and like just mm -hmm. expressing it, you know? Your intuition is the engine of creativity. That's the source. See what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not so much the source. It's just one part of the vehicle, right? Like if you were imagine creativity as, you know, a, a luxury sports car, right? And you've got your intuition as the engine, but then you start being able to recognize, well, what is the fuel that feeds that engine, right? Is it prayer? Is it meditation? Is it movement? Is it self care? Is it your connection to God, your connection to nature? And we can find that creativity and creation in itself has all these different moving parts, right? So the intuition is the engine, right? So how we feed that engine is how we develop our intuition through our felt sense, right? Intuition is not an idea. It's a feeling. It's that gut feeling yeah. that we get when we feel that God is in our proximity and that we are moving and speaking and feeling as if though God is moving through our body. Wow. In my perspective. Yeah. In my opinion, at least. <laughs> how have you, how have you like tapped into it? You know, like how have you broken down the barriers to like just allow yourself to create and not like get so caught up in kind of what we were talking about, like the views and what other people might think mm -hmm. and all these kinds of things like the outside noise. Like how have you like tapped into your own creativity, you know? So my just trial and teacher, error. yeah, my teacher, my coach, Adam Roa. He's a, he's a poet he's a coach for creativity and very successful and very powerful in a lot of ways. He actually wrote the foreword to my book. Really? And he has this four step process, which I'm not sure I can even share, but in this process, you know, the first step is to really unkink the hose, right? And what we're talking about in detangling the mess and deconstructing the notions or the set of conditions that we believe in, you know, to really unkink that hose and allow energy to move through you is what I think is fundamentally the key, right? Cause a lot of people allow energy to move through you. Exactly. Right. A lot of people create from scarcity, right? A lot of people right now, especially you look at social media, right? Why is everybody in their mom posting every single day? Is it to create or is it from a place of, if I don't create, I won't be seen. If I don't create, nobody will buy. If I don't create, people will forget about me. If I don't create, then people will go without being helped. They will go without the help they need because there's this overwhelming responsibility to create now. But really take social media and all these other softwares and systems and platforms out of the equation. But why are we creating what we are in our life? Right? Why are we creating this podcast right now in real time? Right? I wouldn't say we're creating this from scarcity. I would say we're creating this from a place of love. 
Absolutely. Because we want to yeah. reach depth and connection. Yeah. So what would it look like if everybody in the world would create from that place, right? To keep energy moving from love and connection because that is the key to the game of limitation, right? If limitation is the lock, then love and connection is the key to unlock that and to keep energy moving in the direction that we want to see humanity moving towards, right? I have a vision for the better world in the newer quote unquote world where we're not all at each other's throats, where we're not competing with one another, where we're not at war with one another, where we're not separate from one another. And as new age as that sounds, that's how things once were, you know, from the dawn of man, we were tribal beings and we were creating and we were finding ways to help each other thrive, even in conditions where we were designed to survive. You know, so that key is to keep energy moving, but keep energy moving from a place of love to keep energy moving from a place of connection, not scarcity or fear or limitation. Like that's what I feel is needed. And that's where I try to come from in everything I create. Now I don't create something if I don't fucking love what I'm doing. I'm gonna go turn these lights on. All good. Getting some good clips here, bro. <laughs> I, 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 I need like somebody to freaking just do that for me. Like um, I said, bucket of tennis balls, bro. I got a good question for you that just kind of popped up in my head. Like a lot of people, it seems like in today, because I've gone through this myself, like want to escape like the nine to five race, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to just plug into some company and just be like a number, you know, on, on yep. the payroll. And like, they want to, they want to create, you know, how does somebody like go about, I guess, kind of aligning their, their, their creativity and their passion with like, you know, like their own kind of career instead of like just being stuck in a nine to five, like how do you escape that? Or how have you managed mm -hmm. to, you know, cause I mean, you've definitely done it yourself. I mean, how, how do you kind of, if, if you're like listening to this and you're somebody who's like, fuck, I hate my nine to five. I want to yeah. get out of this. Cause I've been there recently. Like, how do you, uh -huh. how do you go about doing that? You know? Yeah. I'm sure a lot of it just takes courage, you know? Yeah. You know, there's, there's two sides of the sword. The first side of the sword is if you don't like what you're fucking doing, quit. Yeah. You know, stop complaining and choose and make a decision and pursue what the fuck you want, right? And that's one side of the sword. That's the more brutal, harsh reality side of it, you know? But then there's the more compassionate side, you know? And the more compassionate side is that maybe your conditions don't allow yourself to just get up and leave, right? Maybe you got a family who depends on you. Maybe you've got a dog who's really, really sick. Maybe you've got a car that doesn't operate really well and it costs you $3,000 to <laughs> fix every other week, Yeah, you know? And you know, those are all just random conditions of course. But I would say if the conditions or the situation doesn't seem like it's realistic to leave and that there are people who depend on you and you have responsibilities, then I would say have reverence for that, have respect for that. You know, maybe don't just jump out the window when you don't have a trampoline to bounce off of. Mm. Right. But there are so many different resources out there right now. I mean, hell, if you're out there struggling, I mean, you can jump on an AI solution right now and you can say, Hey, I like to do this. 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 And using the model of Ikigai, right. What are some potential side gigs or hustles that I can start? Dude, that's so true. Right? Yeah, that's so true. You know, it's like how, instead of, compromising and sacrificing our humanity how do we leverage technology to find opportunity that's yeah that, and that's yeah. a big thing i talk about is how do we balance now in the technological age that we're in right how to restore and reclaim our true nature and return to nature meaning the mountains and the trees and the streams and then how do we also adopt and adapt to society knowing that biologically we are engineered to adapt so how do we merge those two worlds, right? And there are so many different ways. If we struggle with creativity, there's nothing wrong with supplementing something to get the ball moving, right? It's almost like if your car isn't starting and the engine of creativity isn't working quite well, sometimes we have a little bit of an outdated model that sometimes requires, and you might be a little bit more young for this, might need to push it in neutral to get it going before we can actually start the engine. 
right? Like I remember those hoopties back in the day, you know what I'm saying? Like 99 Civics, <laughs> you know, sometimes we had to push those things and then turn the key, jump in, turn the key, get it going, right? Or maybe we were just sneaking out of mom's house, <laughs> you know? And sometimes we need that extra little push and sometimes technology and, you know, finding a creative solution for the issue you're facing is all that you need. So that way you can play and dabble, right? Because chances are, if you're miserable in your nine to five, you're probably not pursuing your interests. Facts. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. most people are not miserable with their nine to five. Most people are miserable with the time they're not spending on their interests. It has nothing to do with the nine to five. The nine to five is a survival mechanism, right? But are you still doing what you love? Are you still spending time with family? Or are you sacrificing everything you love and time with your family and friends for the sake of a paycheck? Because it's not the job, it's your own actions and how you're abandoning the things you love to pursue something you don't. So if you can just get a taste of what you love again, sometimes that might alleviate the pressure of the domestication inside of the corporate structure. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Pursuing your interests. Exactly. Yeah. Right. How many people, and I remember, dude, when I was in nine to fives and I was in corporate, right? I was in the military for five and a half years. And then I went into lifetime, which is corporate fitness. Yeah. And what I loved became my job. And I started hating my job and what I love because I turned my passion into my paycheck. And that's probably the worst advice I would ever give a buddy is pursue your passions, make it your paycheck. No, just pursue your fucking passions. Yeah. And if the paycheck comes then cool, exactly yeah. right. Passion first, but don't substitute that because if you lose your passion, then what the fuck is the point? You know, why, why even do that? Yeah. You know, so like, it's okay to like hold stuff for ourselves still, you know, like don't turn pickleball into your full-time job. Yeah. <laughs> Just use that to play and connect and, you know, celebrate with community and friends. Yeah. And maybe you know if saying? a paycheck comes later, then cool, you know? Exactly, bro. <laughs> you know, but that's even when I worked with professional athletes, you know, they'd be miserable. You know, golfers and NFL is primarily who I worked with in the fitness industry. And they used to love the game. And then they started feeling the pressure. Yeah. To perform. Yeah. You know, and there was a paycheck attached to that. Yeah. And a lot of the times I talked to them, I'd say, you know, when's the last time you played for fun? And they went, well, years. Well before I went pro, I said, you know, go out and play your next game and play just to play. Play to have fun. See what happens. They'd come back and they'd be like, whoa. Yeah. It's so simple. Dude, that's so true, bro. Like even doing this, man, like sometimes I get in my own head. I'm like, oh, I got to like make sure it's the perfect podcast, make sure like I don't mess up. But really, like just just have fun, like, you know, like just be yourself, have fun, like and do that in everything, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you do you think you can do that? And like still, I guess that that is how you can play at your best, huh? Is by just being yourself and just having fun. Mm -hmm. And that really is like how you can how you can be at your best. Dude, if you're not yourself and having fun, then <laughs> what the fuck are you creating, yeah. right? You're creating this, what, false image, false persona. Yeah. How many people do you see on social media right now that create from that place? I feel like you can kind of tell, too. Like you it, can. It's kind of like, you know, like everybody teaches his own, but I feel like you do. You can tell when somebody's genuinely like just creating from like a very mm -hmm. deep sense of like they just love doing whatever they're doing, you know? Yeah. And like... Nobody likes that shit anymore, yeah. bro. Like authenticity yeah. is the new currency. Re facts. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And if you're not fully yourself, like, you know, even this, like this podcast hasn't been perfect. There's lights shutting off yeah. and cameras dying and things yeah. like that. And that's part of the fucking process. Yeah. There's right? no producers. Can you <laughs> still stay in your joy when shit goes off? Mm -hmm. Because if you're not in your joy, then like, that's not from a place of fun, bro. That's from a place of like duty responsibility and like all this shit, like in the military, I remember that. I fucking started hating the military because it was just loyalty, duty, respect, honor. And it was like jammed down my throat. It was manufactured, it wasn't authentic. And that is like the new way, right? And that's, only, that's the only people I wanna fucking hang out with. Like if you're not authentic, get the fuck away from me. That's how I feel right now. Yeah, I, I really like like what we're talking about. It really does tie into the fact that like 
if you can merge like that authenticity and creativity into technology, mm-hmm. like you know, you know who Naval is. Mm-mm. He's he's a guy who like talks a lot about that. His name's Naval Ravikant. He's like an angel investor, uh, but he talks a lot about that. And that's that's kind of my goal with this. You know, is just like merge the two and like just you know, like I think that the technology we have is like crazy. You know, like a lot. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people kind of overlook it. Like it's crazy. Like how many people are addicted to this stuff and like it's it's super crazy man you know yeah i mean there is a genuine concern right because it's <laughs> what's your what's yeah what's your view on just overall like with all this technology and it's it's all evolving so fast mm-hmm. i mean what's like your overall take on it you know yeah i mean i'm i'm a big fan of tech i love ai i love um a lot of these different software solutions right without software solutions then you know, we'd still be mailing shit by paper and I'm a big fan of speed and I'm a big fan of permanence with the respect to our humanity. Right. As long as, yeah, I got exactly you. right. Like the moment we start outsourcing our humanity, right. Cause our creativity is so multifaceted, you know, to say that creativity is only man-made and we can't use creativity with technology is ignorant, right? Because technology in and of itself is a creative tool, right? It's just a tool. Depends how you use it. You know, are you going to use your hammer to sweep the floor? Probably not. Use the hammer to hit the nail on the head and get the job done, you know, in a way that facilitates sustainability, humanity, profitability, not so much productivity. And profitability is not in relation to money. Mm -hmm right? Profitability is what am I profiting from this? Am I profiting in love? Am I profiting in connection? Am I profiting in concurrency? Am I profiting in, you know, ways beyond the material world, you know? So for me, it's, I use a lot of AI and I use it because it's, it's an interesting process in itself. Like determining and and picking a prompt is a creative process. Yeah. Right. To know exactly what the input is and then to see the output, but then to modify the output with another input and be able to navigate the technology in a way is a creative process in and of itself. So I can't necessarily say that your creativity is only in the human box, but it's how you use the tool. Mm-hmm. And I think that how you interact with just everything, huh? Exactly. Yeah. And that's with everything, bro. It's like if you drink too much water, you can die. I mean, like, think about, like, when humans created fire, like, that was pretty much a technology, you know? Exactly. Like, technology's always kind of been here, you know? It's just right. growing so rapidly. It's just starting to look different. That's it. But it's the same thing, right? Why did we invent fire to survive in the cold? Why did we invent technology to develop more currency when inflation and the economy started reflecting back to us what we needed to survive? All we're doing is looking at the more newer modern age fire because we already have that. But do we really need to say that fire no longer matters just because we have technology? Because your electronic fireplace is not going to heat you up the same way. It's not going to have the same smell. It's not going to have the same experience. So I think having a balance of the human experience is so necessary for us to determine what we prefer and what we need. Because needs and preferences are completely different. Yeah. So really checking in with that is what I do. Do I need to use this or am I just preferring to use this? Because if I need to use this, chances are I'm lacking something within myself. And now that is reflecting back to me the opportunity to go within myself and find the answer I really need. Everything is a reflection of reality. And if we can start seeing things in that way, then we have a much more conscious and aware um, society. Let me ask you this, man. Uh, Like your background, we didn't really cover it at all, but like you were involved in like MMA, um, you were involved in bodybuilding, um, all kinds of stuff like that. When did this like, you know, when the like spirituality and like a lot of these different thoughts like in plant medicine, when did that start to like take, take shape for you? Like in your life, you know? 2017. 17? 2017, yeah. Oh, 2017, okay. Yeah, so six years ago. And yeah, I was after my hand injury in bodybuilding, lean on a granite counter. I was a trainer at Lifetime, snapped off, ripped my hand open, 
contemplated suicide again. And May 2017 is when I went into a program called Landmark, which is a leadership discovery and like an emotional intelligence program. And it was through that program I started learning the language of personal development. And ever since then, it's just been going deeper and deeper and deeper into a lot of different arenas, we'll say, whether that's plant medicine or, I mean, hell, I even went to psychic school. It's called Delphi University of Metaphysical Studies Okay. in Georgia. It's like <laughs> a bunch of psychic ladies teaching people in cabins in the woods. Oh, really? Type of stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dead ass. That's deep. <laughs> and went through their whole transpersonal therapy program, and I started understanding the psychology of spirituality. And when I went through that program, I want to say in 2019 is when I went into that training, I started learning about energy and what the human eyes don't see, something that only our psychic eyes can see and tapping into these different senses that we have, you know, because at the, the dawn of man, we had, I want to say over 100 senses at that time. Don't quote me on the exact number, but we had over 100 different human senses. And now with what the world sees, they say we only have five. And in more like psychic or mediumship and channeling work, they say that there are four more, right? Clairvoyance, clairsentience, clairaudience, and claircognizance, right? The ability to see, hear, feel, and know things beyond the scene. And when I started tapping into that world, man, I went really deep. Yeah. Like off the deep end type of stuff. Like too deep? Like, I would say yes. <laughs> I went really fucking deep, man. I mean, I was doing like exorcism work. I Ooh, was doing, shit. yeah, I was doing, which is the only time I've really ever said that publicly. Um, but I was doing like exorcism work. I was doing past life regression work. I was doing um, a lot of work in the demonic realms not saying I was like summoning demons, but I was exercising them from people. With and all the with all the work that you've done in that space, um, do you like when, when you meet somebody new? Like, do you feel like I don't know how to describe it, <laughs> but like, do you feel different things? Like when you meet somebody new, like can you like feel their energy kind of thing? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I call it a bullshit barometer. I'm sure. Like you strike me as a person who's really good at like picking up on bullshit and like energy and all yeah. that kind of stuff. You know? I mean. Pattern recognition is what I've done for a living. I mean, I feel like everybody has that, but you've just worked on it, you know, so yeah. much to the point where you probably are like really good well, dude, at it's picking a up on energy. Yeah. Is, is that the same as uh, intuition? You can call it that. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, intuition can be many things. Basically what I'm saying, if anybody's like wondering is like, <laughs> like when you meet somebody new, everybody, like you always have like, just like gut feelings, right? Like when you mm -hmm. meet somebody new, like, oh, I don't know about this person. Or I mean, everybody has that, right? Yeah. I think it's just like have they really exercised that muscle recently, right? It feels like my whole life I've been exercising that muscle. It feels like I have a very um, proficient, you know, way of picking up on things. And it doesn't come from dis judgment. It's from like discernment, right? Like when I meet someone, like even when I first met you, I'll normally pick up on the first three seconds without any words. If I just see someone and I look into their eyes, I'll be able to pick up in about three seconds on average. Is this person okay to be near me or not? Yeah. And if they're not, then I won't completely shut them out. What I'll do is I just kind of put up an energetic shield and I determine how close I will allow this person to get to me moving forward until I start feeling the difference. I like that. So you don't, you don't right. just like, if you see somebody and you have like the wrong energy, you don't just like, shut them off no. or like, well, there's no right. There's no wrong. Themselves. Like you, like you, you know yeah. that, you know, maybe they have like a bad experience or maybe like there's something going on and yeah. you know, there's, at the end of the day, they're just a human being, you know? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like we're all human. There's no right. Like you even said like the wrong energy, like right and wrong don't exist in my world. Um, I see things from a place of they're human as we all are. And who the fuck am I to determine if somebody's a good person or a bad person? Because based on my history and my life, a lot of people could look at me and say, you're a piece of shit, dude. But like, who would I be if I didn't exercise that same grace for other people? Yeah. You know, because it is a proximity thing more than a persona thing. 
right? Yeah. Like how close do I allow someone? Are they, you know, coming backstage to the show of Nathan? Are they sitting in the front row? Are they in the audience or are they outside waiting for security to pat them down? Right. And I kind of put people in those different areas for my own well-being, you know, because time is our most precious commodity and energy is the most precious asset we have. So I th- see things in time, energy, resources, and, and to understand that I'm able to meet almost anybody where they're at. I can get along with anybody at this point. You know, just as I'm talking with you, I can go talk to someone on the streets. You know, I can talk to somebody in Scottsdale as I would, you know, somebody who's gangbanging and clicked up on the, on the streets as well. Right. I've been in there too. I was there in my teen years. You You think that just comes from understanding? Well, just adaptation, right? It's like I was mixed up in gangs. I was mixed up in drugs. I was sleeping on the streets several times. Like who would I be today if I didn't have compassion for those people? Cause I remember what that was like when nobody had compassion for me, you know? Dude, I think, I think that's, that's like all the stuff that you're doing. That's probably your greatest skill, huh? Is to be able to like mm-hmm. talk to all the, and I think it's crazy cause you could argue that like all the bad experiences you've had in life are, you know, it's terrible, but it's also like your greatest asset, you know, yep. because that's given you the ability to now, like you can, you can relate to anybody, you know, cause you've been, you've been at the lows, you've been at the highs and people who have only ever like, you know, they've only ever been wealthy and like all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Like they can't relate to anybody who maybe is struggling or going through stuff and they can't learn from those people. You know, they can't connect yeah. with those people. You yeah. Know? I mean, even, even in like shamanic work, right? Whether that's through plant medicine or soul retrieval or whatever, um, somebody's doing in the shamanic realm or doing working with shamans or whatever, you know, shaman quite literally translates into one who leads through the darkness that they have already faced. Right. And I don't subscribe, nor do I ever call myself that because a community is, are the ones who identify and appoint someone with that title which I haven't by my community. We can call them healers. We can call them, right? Some people in Western society consider their therapist. You know, that can be seen as a shaman, whatever. Um, Although a lot of, you know, Western medicine and therapy and stuff, they haven't really faced their own darkness. They've learned about how to read other people's darkness, but that by getting the intelligence, they've kind of bypassed their own, right? So when... I'm leading other people, right? And even in one of my businesses, which is Refuge Leadership Academy, we say to lead other, lead ourselves first, then lead others. And if you haven't faced your own darkness and somebody comes to you with an issue that you're currently facing, but you haven't fully navigated, I would say it's out of integrity for you to actually guide that person, right? And it's an integrity check. So yeah, like all the terrible shit, all the violent shit, all the terrible things that I've done, which I've definitely forgiven myself for, and I've done a lot of work around has enabled me to see someone else who has either committed those acts or been a victim to those acts. And I can find compassion and I can separate my experience from it. Like I don't let my own shit get in the way. And as leaders, it's our responsibility to embody our shit and to really align with our own values and do the fucking work and lead people in a good way. And that is something that, again, like you had said, based on my experiences, yes, they definitely are my greatest asset because those are the returns that never end, you know, to be able to now live and enjoy my life, to be able to connect to people, talk to people. I used to hate people, bro. I used to fucking hate people. I used to say that humans were the worst thing to ever happen to humanity. It's pretty common these days for yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people think that. Exactly. You know, and I was on a fucking rampage, dude. You know, but now it's like I can see somebody in their deepest pain and their greatest rage. And I can still just love them for who they are. How would you describe like the shadow and like the dark side? Like, what is that? What does that mean? Like, how do you like, first of all, what does it mean? And how do you? implement it in your life and like tap into it and use it as like mm-hmm. fuel, you know, instead of like shunning it, you know, cause yeah. like we all have like dark sides and you know, things that we don't like about ourselves or whatever it is. So like, first of all, what is like the shadow? Like you, you're familiar with Carl Young, right? Like you, you studied oh, him, yeah. right? Oh, I think yeah. I saw that somewhere in one of your podcasts. He's like the main 
so like how would you just how would you describe like that whole idea and like how can you like use it as like for for good you know yeah yeah so you know carl jung and i'm definitely paraphrasing a lot of this because he goes (laughs) way deep if i would highly recommend to anyone and everyone to read considering his body of work along with sigmund Freud and even wilhelm reich are like what i would consider to be like the grandfathers of modern day psychology and psychoanalysis and simply put the shadow is the aspects or parts of ourself that we deny repress or we think is not of the optimal self and that kind of relates to authenticity too exactly yeah it it ties into that you know exactly a lot of people on social like and just in general like they don't want to like show their dark side like you Mm -hmm. know but yeah continue and that's what i see right it's like the darkness is not something that is evil, right? In my book, I wrote that the myth of the Messiah is what misled us to believe that our darkness is evil, right? Myth of the Messiah, if you want to pick up on the religious jab there, because our darkness is not our evil. And in relation to Carl Jung's work, the darkness is simply what I consider to be the unconscious. And in the unconscious is just the aspects of ourself that have yet to be discovered or the parts of ourselves that we've pushed away and that we forgot were there. Those are the denied and repressed selves. So if we really illuminate our darkness with love, with acceptance, with compassion, with honesty and transparency, then we can really step into who we really are. That makes sense. So it's not necessarily like like there's an evil side of you or something like that. It's just whatever you're repressing and like putting away, like you don't want the world to see pretty much. Huh? Exactly. You don't want to bring into the light. Exactly. And that's that why sense. I say yeah. that, you know, the shadows bleed shame because normally the parts of ourself we're hiding are the parts we feel shameful for. Gotcha. And those parts are normally the ones that have acted out, um, in ways of survival. You know, like I used to act out in very violent ways because I was designed that way to survive you know, mixed martial artists since I was five and jumped into a gang at 15. And violence was what I learned at a really young age. And that's what I was recognized for. That's what I was celebrated for. That's what I was appreciated for. And that's what I learned was the way to get attention or the way that people actually acknowledged me because I didn't have any friends growing up. So would you say like, because like that part of you was glorified when you were younger like your shadow was almost like the spiritual side of things like would you say that almost i would say the shadow then was the unmet needs right like the shadow always pursues the unmet needs okay so when i wasn't aware of it i would act it out unconsciously so when i was feeling lonely or when i was feeling depressed right it wasn't the fact that i wasn't being seen it's the fact that i didn't know how to tap into my violence in a healthy way right? Because my violence was just my suppressed rage. And my suppressed rage came from the aggression that I couldn't accept within myself because I thought I was genuinely a kind, nice, sweet, sincere little boy, right? But over time, as I went through a lot of different abuse and humiliation and a lot of different, you know, core wounds as a kid, and I didn't address those things, my default mode, right? Or my default pathway was if I don't feel loved and if I don't feel seen, if I don't feel appreciated, I remember that when I was a kid, that when I was aggressive or violent, that's how I started attracting love and validation. Right. So then I would act those things out and that's what kind of attracted the environment and the community of gang culture. And then I took that and then I went to the military from military, I went to bodybuilding and I carried that feeling of being validated with me for a really long time. Right? So all that being said, like the shadow was the part of me that wanted attention, but didn't know how to ask for it. It was the violent part. But once I started learning how to channel my aggression in a healthy way, it was no longer violence. It turned into, into creation. Right? I took my aggression and instead of punching people in the face, I created things that would help them heal. And being able to leverage that darkness has been powerful 
right? Because without that violent side, yeah, I wouldn't be able to relate to the people who were in pain. I wouldn't be able to relate to my own pain or the pain that was inflicted upon other people. So my shadow became my gift yeah, for being able to have range. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like in depth too. Like, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Because even in the ocean, the darkest depths of the ocean, it's dark. But down there are the most beautiful creatures you can ever imagine. Yeah. It's the mystery. It's the unconscious. We don't fucking know what's down there. There's probably a megalodon or something hanging around down there that we don't know about. But does yeah. that mean it's evil? No, it's just a part of nature. And it's serving a purpose, even if we don't comprehend it. But it's through the excavation and the discovery and the revealing and acceptance of it that becomes the journey. That's what most people would call shadow work. Yeah. You know? You brought up uh, universal laws earlier. Mm -hmm. That's something I, I came across in high school. Started looking up like just random stuff like law of attraction. Yep. And then I stumbled across the universal laws. Um, and it's interesting because I, I started diving into more of it and I started realizing like the world doesn't operate by the laws of man. It operates by the universal laws like law of attraction, law of compensation, law of cause and effect, like all that stuff. Mm -hmm. What's your take on like law, the, the laws of the universe and like, how is that? Like, have you studied that stuff? I'm sure you have. But, oh like, yeah. How is that? Like, just talk a little bit about that. Your, you know, your perspective on, on that and what, what governs the world, you know, mm -hmm. the world that we live in. Yeah. So I will say two things here. First things, I think that anything constructed by man is kind, kind of, of foolish. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not bullshit. I just think it's foolish. Right. I think there's a beauty in the mystery. Like I just said. Because if we as human beings think that we fully comprehend or understand God or the universe, um, I would say that's mildly ignorant. For sure. Right? And on the other side of that, the second thing I'll say is that our perceived reality is the only one that exists. Right? Through the double slit experiment, we even saw that two different electron particle beams that were shot at the same time, only the one that was observed was the one that was real. So it is whatever we pay attention to, which becomes the reality. Yeah. Right. So from a human context now, <laughs> in relation to the universal laws, they are important, right? Because we, as human beings, we weren't given a handbook on how to live. And I think some human at some time, right? There's the book, the Kabbalion, which is probably the one you found has a lot of these different sets and laws that a lot of the different religious infrastructures turned into their own laws and their own commandments and their own set of rules through their own beliefs and philosophies, right? So I do believe that the universal laws are what some would consider spiritual laws. And they're essentially just guidelines on how to be a good human. And, you know, if you plant a seed, you will reap what you sow. Simple as that, right? As above, so below. As it is on heaven, it will be on earth. And heaven is in your heart and can be on earth always if you choose to create it. That's what I would call heart-led leadership. You know, and the same thing as, as within, so without, right? Duality, polarity. As it is within you, it will appear outside of you, right? That's what we would call reality creation, so I think the universal laws, yeah, I think they're great reference points on how to create the life by, that you want by your own design. I don't necessarily think that we as humans could ever say that, you know, it's the absolute capital T truth, but they are really great guidelines. And I think they do have a lot of significance as reference points on our map of life much like religion and spirituality is for everyone else, because we do need a foundation of understanding, a foundation of spiritual, um, you know, a spiritual foundation. Something that grounds us a little exactly. bit. Yeah. Exactly. Have right. something to like live by, you know? Right. It's or else hard we'd to... all just be fucking existing and creating and fucking and reproducing yeah. everything, right? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of hard to just like live your life day to day without having like a set of like guidelines, principles, like all that exactly. kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. So it's like the samurai's code. Yeah. Right. But in a universal sense, what's right. your, um, what's your current like regiment with like working out and health and all that kind of stuff. Cause like you said, you were involved in bodybuilding, not anymore, but what are you kind of doing these days to like keep yourself healthy and 
Like, do you have it like a set regimen or is it just like, just whatever, you know, man, I wake up and I ask like, what do I need? What would feel good? And you know, how can I support the day that I'm about to have? Right. So sometimes I might have a really, really, really busy day, right? I might be back to back from 10 to six, you know, and that's like eight hours straight. It's not super sustainable. So I know I'm that I'm going to need energy. So I'm not going to go to the gym and, you know, exercise really heavily, right? I'm maybe just going to take a walk. I'm going to do something to recharge and restore and replenish and prepare my body for the day I'm about to have. And on the other side, I might have a really, you know, mild day, but the day after might be really intense. So on that mild day, I might train really hard knowing that my body needs to be strong for the day to come. You know, there is no regimen. There is no routine. Um, I have non-negotiables, which is waking up, having my water, lemon, salt, getting my hydration. Then I'll go for my morning walk. I'll get 15 minutes of sunlight. I'll get 15 to 30 minutes of walking and movement. You know, the bare essentials, right? I'll get 10 to 15 minutes of grounding, earthing. Yeah. I'll make sure that my feet are below the ground, not on the ground because the electromagnetic frequencies, especially with the 5G towers, it just kind of settles on top of the earth. So when people go grounding and earthing and they just put their feet on the grass or put their feet on the dirt, That's what they're I've still absorbing lately, yeah. the electromagnetic frequencies and some of the electromagnetic radiation from 5G. So how do you, how do you get, how do you get below? Like you just dig a hole. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You go four to six inches under, right? So if I don't know how your place would feel about you digging up their grass, there's a park over there. I could do that. at. Exactly. Yeah. Dude, just bring one of those little, uh, you know, those things that you stab it in the ground and you squeeze it and it pulls it out. It's like yeah. a pottery planting device. You just take that, right? Go four to six inches under and then put your feet there and then 10 to 15 minutes there. So that way you're getting true earth frequency and not the manufactured or altered frequency from all this electromagnetic radiation that we're getting on the day to day. And that's kind of like, the extra hack yeah. to earthing to ensure that you're getting quality over quantity. Okay. So it's these non-negotiables, right? I'm getting my, you know, conscious breathing, right? With the air, I am getting my sunlight, the fire. I'm drinking my water getting my hydration. I'm getting the water and then I'm earthing and getting the earth, right? In the four directions and in more indigenous cultures and traditions, right? They have the four directions technically seven directions because God, nature, and the heart are the seven directions, right? But in the east, there's the air. In the south, there's the fire. There's the west, and there's the water. The north, and there's the earth. And there's a specific trait, quality, and contribution that each direction has. So to answer your question in a really long roundabout way, my routine is with nature. I love that. <laughs> I love that, man. Uh, we're about an hour in, so I wanted to cover a couple more topics that I had in mind before uh, before you got to go. Uh, what's your experience like? I couldn't miss this topic. What's your experience been like with psychedelics? Uh, hmm. I know you, you're you pretty open about it, so I figured we could cover it, and I've had my, a few experiences myself. Yeah. When when did you first, like, dive into that, and then, like, what are some of the main things? I'm sure you could talk about it all day, but what are some of, like, the main things that you've, like, taken from it and, and implemented in your life, you know, from hmm. DMT to mushrooms to... LSD, I mean, all that stuff. I mean, what, yeah. what, what was your first experience? And then like, just what are some of the main things that it's taught you, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my first experience with 2018, um, <laughs> I was hosting a Steel Mace Flow workshop certification uh, in Scottsdale. And me and a few of my buddies, they, we put DMT on top of a bowl of weed. And oh, wow. we smoked it. Oh, my yeah, God. I would not recommend yeah, this not ever. Not for your first time. <laughs> ever, dude. And I just remember hitting that and it was... Oh man, it was painful. I mean, reality ripped apart, felt like the skin from my body is getting ripped off. And you know what most people would call an ego death. I went through like the ego meat grinder <laughs> and it really opened me up to the things that we've been talking about already, like darkness and reality and questioning what it really was. And I can definitely say that I went into a mild psychosis for a good amount of time, right? Cause I didn't have the understanding. I wasn't in the right mindset. 
I don't feel like I had enough support and along the way. And I kind of turned into this like spiritual narcissist where I mm. like tried to wake the world up and I yeah. tried to tell people how to live. And that is what led to the demise of my relationship at the time. And after gotcha. that breakup, dude, it fucked me up. And I started going deeper and started going to therapy and I started doing a lot of these different alternative healing modalities. And then I started finding mushrooms and LSD, which a quarter gram of mushrooms and a quarter tab of LSD plus snowboarding is the best okay. experience. I am not condoning <laughs> it. It is not an official recommendation. So if you do this, proceed with caution hmm. at your own discretion with your own sovereign <laughs> ability to choose. But it's the only time I've never fallen on a snowboard. And it's fantastic. Really? <laughs> yeah, man. So there is a recreational, playful part of it, right? Yeah. It doesn't always have to be like this deep, transcendental experience because, you know, life is a fucking psychedelic experience. You know, it's okay to use it recreationally. I still dabble with MDA, which is sassafras, and 2CB, which is a chemical compound that they've used with MDMA in relationship, marriage, sex therapy. And I love these combinations. I love to experiment with these different frequencies of consciousness, right? And there is a difference between plant consciousness and synthetic consciousness. It's really important to distinguish that and animal consciousness, hmm. right? Like Cambo, which is a non-hallucinogenic, but it's a frog poison, can be considered a psychedelic because it is a psychedelic experience, not so much a compound, just like 5-MeO-Bufo, DMT. That comes from frogs, is, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Toad. Sonoran toad. And they excrete the venom. And that is the most powerful psychedelic known to man right now, which I did last year. And that was, again, a pretty painful experience. And it was right before my mom died. So it almost prepared me in a way. When you say painful, how would you describe the pain? Like, because it's not really a physical pain. I mean, I guess it could be. I mean, <laughs> my first experience was definitely a physical pain. It okay. felt like the skin was being ripped from my flesh. Oh, shit. And with 5-MeO-Bufo, it was more of an emotional pain because, you know, 5-MeO-Bufo DMT is like the God molecule. And it almost dissolves the ego, the self, in which you become one with God, the universe, source, spirit, whatever. And I did not get to that point of oneness. I got stuck between my ego dissolving and at the doorstep of God, but I didn't get let in. Hmm. And it was almost like, even though I was in a non-human place, I was still experiencing all the human things. So I felt the pain of losing my kids. I felt the pain of leaving my purpose unfinished. I felt the pain of everything I wish I would have done when I was alive. And although it was painful, it was necessary because I wasn't showing up as I wanted to for my kids. I wasn't going all in on my purpose. Yeah. I wasn't showing up for my clients to the best of my ability. And I was letting my own shit get in the way. So although painful, it was necessary. And yeah. that's why there's no such thing as a good and a bad trip. There's no such thing as good and bad, right and wrong. All that bullshit is, is an illusion of separation. So throughout my experience, and even though a lot of people have had really challenging experiences with ayahuasca, ayahuasca was one of the most gentle experiences I've ever had. And I was an hour and a half down the Amazon river in the jungle for six days, five nights. Yeah. And in that experience, because I was prepared and I was with a good group of people, I was with a tribe and I had support afterwards. It was almost like ayahuasca was one of the most easiest experiences I've ever had because it was just my intention that carried me down that river of, of psychedelic medicine. Right. So in my experience, and I'm also trained as a psychedelic integration coach really? and I went through actual training for it back in okay. 2019 with a company called being true to you is I really wanted to understand the nature of them and why we use them. Right. So with some of my clients, I'll set them up with microdosing protocols, or if they get their own medicine, which they do, I'll show up, we'll meet up and I'll hold space for them. Dude, I you're, will, you're the perfect, you like know, trip, trip, uh, trip sitter. They? Yeah, dude. Yeah. If I was going to do it again, like, dude, you're the guy for sure. 
I do create some. Do you do? So, do you, are you still like involved with that? A little bit here and there. So I'll there. do it with my one-on-one clients. Okay. You know, I don't provide the medicine. I don't supply the medicine. Distribute the medicine. I equip them with the person to get their own, and gotcha. then I'll design the experience itself. So that way they can navigate their own journey in a safe and effective way. And I'll do preparation and integration. So it's normally about a 60 day commitment that I'll do with my clients in that way. Okay. My experience, like, cause I'm, I'm definitely like a rookie with it, but like with like mushrooms and stuff mm-hmm. like that, the biggest thing I take away from it is like, you can't run from anything that's going on inside your head. Like, <laughs> any kind of ideas that like you're, you're challenged with, or like yep. you've been like trying to work through, like there's nowhere to like go. Like w- once you like, take those like, you know, plant medicines, like you have yep. to face them, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing for me that I, I appreciate about it is like, it forces you like, yo, like mm-hmm. everything that's going on inside your head, you're going to have to deal with and face, you know? Mm-hmm. So, well, dude, even on that note, like, <clears throat> you know, they, much like we talked about already, like whether you're eating mushrooms or dropping acid or even doing breath work, right? Breath work is designed to create an altered state, very similar to psychedelics. You know, in the seventies, that's why Stan Groff started messing around and created holotropic breath work because the federal government um, banned psychedelics and they made them like a schedule three or schedule four substance or whatever it was. And, you know, it's important to know that what you just said you cannot run from it, which means that you will have to face your shit. Yeah. It will force you to, yeah. which means that it's very important that people respect this stuff, right? Because there's a lot of people out there who are recreationally using it, right? They're going to bars in Old Town and they're drinking and microdosing, and that's just flat out disrespectful, in my yeah. opinion. I'm not one to tell people how to live, but all it takes is a little bit too much plus alcohol, which it's called spirits for a reason because it allows dark spirits to enter. And that's why people black out. Yeah. That doesn't sound like a good combination. No, it's not. It's very dangerous. And especially when you start mixing chemical compounds and if people are using, um, pharmacological solutions, right? Medicine, um, what are they called? Medications, right? If people are medications and they're using this stuff. It can have really adverse side effects. So it's important that people really understand the severity that comes with it, right? Because I myself have not respected medicine and it reminded me really fucking fast why I should. And that stuff can be very dangerous, right? So all that being said, safety is always paramount. Safety is always the first concern. It's always safety and significance, right? Are you safe? Are you doing it in a safe way? Are you sitting it within a safe way? Are you treating it with respect? So that way it feels safe with you. And is your intention strong enough to carry you through the journey when it strips everything from you to show you who you really are? Can your intention really carry you through a really challenging experience, right? So those are the two things I would say. Safety, significance, always, Gotcha. you know? And of course, support, you know, having a community, having somebody who's trained, experienced, somebody who's of integrity to lead you in a good way. So that way they're not just profiting for their own selfish endeavors, right? Are they really leading you in the good way? And are they well equipped to lead you, right? A weekend life coach certification is not satisfactory to take people through psychedelic journeys. And I think that needs to be said because there's a lot of people out there who are taking people down really dangerous pathways. Yeah. Right. That's what we would call plastic shamans. Yeah. Right. They're plastic shamans. Let me see where we're at with time. Yep. Probably like five more minutes. Cool. Cool. Let's end it. Let's end it here, man. You're a, uh, you're a father, uh, yep. father of father three. to three, three. Yeah. What was your experience? Like, cause you started out early, right? 20. Mm-hmm. What's been your biggest takeaway from fatherhood and what advice would you give to somebody who maybe is a younger father man <laughs> it's so kind hard of a tough question to la- 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 this is the interview. hardest question you've asked me all interview man um you know i think the best lesson biggest lesson i learned is that you know there are times when my children know more than i do mm, i like that yeah you know like 
they're more tapped into like just their own natural yeah man yeah like the way i see it it's like i'm 31 now i'm 31 years away from god and my kids are 10 years seven years and one year away from god so if they're closer to god then maybe i need to listen more as a dad because it's not about me anymore it's about them so why would i impose what i believe is best for them when i can genuinely listen to what they want and then learn to lead them in a way that facilitated not only what they wanted, but doing it in a way that married with the values and virtues that I want them to live by based on my own experience and based on the role that I foresee for them in society, right? And how I can lead them to their own greatness versus what my own selfish belief might be of my own greatness, right? It's gotcha. not about my path. It's about their path. So how do I lead them in a way that leads them to the greatest path of their capability, their capacity? And how do I become just a support, like an unshakable, unfuckwithable support for my kids? Knowing I'm here to love you and I'm here to fucking do something really, really <laughs> violent, if yeah. I must, yeah. to protect you, yeah. right? I gotta be careful with my words. Yeah. Um, but... Right. How can I, how can I be not only the protector, but the guide? How can I be a steward for your journey? And allow them to just like be themselves still. Exactly, man. You know, it's like that kind of like circles all the way back around to the beginning of our conversation Yeah. around like authenticity, you know, like how do I help them become their most authentic self? And what's the biggest thing you've learned from, from them, you know, to my daughter, (laughs) Natalie Jean, she has, definitely taught me a lot. And I think the greatest thing she's ever taught me is that no matter how bad things get, there's always somebody that loves you. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. And like to never take that for granted, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there might come a day where you want to call somebody that you love, but you can't anymore. Yeah. Do you ever like, um, meditate on death? Like, do you ever like, hmm. cause I know like I, I try to do that as much as I can. Cause I feel like that just helps me like kind of put things in perspective, you know, mm-hmm. do you ever do that? Dude, I think life is a meditation on death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's kind of like it, it, again, it sounds like you've super heard, you've simple. You've heard that, right? Like pe- a lot mm-hmm. of people talk about oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah, man. I've done a bunch of work on yeah. death. Yeah. I wrote a whole chapter, a whole section of my book on it. Yeah. Right. And, um, we'll leave it off here. We'll leave it off here. You know, for me, it's, it's, you know, death is just another stage. It's another thing, right? Like we die daily. Yeah. And when we wake up, we're given the opportunity to live again. Yeah. Right. So that's what I mean by like, life is a death meditation. It's a walking, it's a dynamic meditation. There is no event, right? Death is just a process, not an event. That's what I would say. Amazing. Well, cool, man. I know you got to get going here soon, um, but I, dude, I, I really appreciate it. This was like probably my, my favorite podcast I've ever did. Like seriously, hey, I really enjoyed it, man. And Thank you, uh, bro. yeah, definitely one day maybe we get a workout in, or maybe we do a podcast again. But something, man. You're, Let's do it. You're amazing, dude. I love everything you're doing, and your perspective on life is super fucking amazing, dude. And uh, I just appreciate the time, man. I know you got a lot going on, so I appreciate you coming out here and, and doing it. Yeah, okay. Thanks, man. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having me, man. For sure, man. Super excited for this one to yeah, drop. Dude, this, I, one, I gotta, this one's good. It's going to take me like probably a week to edit it because got the camera. Sorry about the camera situation, man. Don't be sorry. <clears throat> um, but yeah, man, I'm excited to put this out. Yeah. And I feel like just there's just so much value in here, man. So I appreciate it once again, man. Thanks, man. Yep. Yeah, this is great. Ah.